Welcome to the Antler Up Podcast, brought to you by Spartan Forge. Black Rifle Coffee Company is a veteran-owned coffee company serving premium coffee to people who love America. Fall is upon us, and there's no better way to get fueled up before hunt than with some Black Rifle Coffee. Coffee legitimately tastes better after a day in the woods or after a successful hunt. Fuel your next adventure and purchase at www.blackriflecoffee.com and use code ANTLER at checkout to save 20% off your purchase and or with your first coffee club subscription, Black Rifle Coffee. Also, just want to say a big thank you to our partners over at America's Best Bowstrings, hand-built in the USA since 2006. Amazing customer service, awesome quality and performance. Their Platinum Series strings are what we all run on our bows. We absolutely love them. Go and create a custom set today at americasbestbowstrings.com. Before we get into this episode, let's thank our partners over at Shea Butler Knives. And Shea makes custom everyday carry knives with the Rhino and Pursuit. His Ranger and Whitetail and Featherlight knives are amazing for anything, but especially out in the field. Shea's creativity, high quality materials, functional but unique designs, coupled with his precise leather work, make products that will last a lifetime. Check them out over at SheaButlerKnives.com. Our friends over at Half Rack just released some awesome gear and they were great enough to give our listeners 10% off their order. All you have to do is click on the link in the podcast bio or the link on our link tree on Instagram and that will give you your percentage off at checkout. So get some of the highest quality hunting and outdoor accessories that will help you prosper in the field. Half Rack is aiming to be mindful of the past, conservation conscious and evolve into the future. Thanks to our partners over at Tether. Tether makes premium saddle gear by saddle hunters for the saddle hunter. They just dropped some new gear like the MVP, which can turn your saddle into a two panel or just a more rigid back support and also some new suspenders. So if your saddle tends to sag, grab a pair and both items are retrofitted. So it doesn't matter what saddle or brand you have, they're going to work. Check them out at tethernation.com. Forged in combat and tailored for hunters, Spartan Forge stands at the nexus of machine learning and whitetail deer hunting to deliver truly innovative and science-based products that save the hunter time spent scouting, planning, and executing their hunts. You can now take Spartan Forge with you wherever you go by downloading the mobile app. Enjoy deer prediction analysis, weather forecasts, historical data, detailed journaling, as well as crisp maps. It's time for you to make the most of your season and let Spartan Forge do that for you. Use code ANTLERUP to save 20%. Check it out over at SpartanForge.ai. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Antler Up Podcast. We are on episode 101, and on today's episode, we are joined by the Venari Effect crew. We had Jake and Nick Miller on, along with Easton McNeil, and we talked about how they hunt Ohio, how they shared how things have evolved for them over the last few years to become more successful and to become better hunters. 
also talked about filling some late season tags and a fun conversation about social media content and a little bit of other things as well. This is a blast to have this conversation with these fellows. We look forward to seeing Jake hopefully get an opportunity still this late season for him. So enjoy this fun episode and Antler Up. We are, Dimitri and I, we're joined by uh, the guys from Ohio, right? We're, you guys are from Ohio? That's right. Awesome. So the guys from the Venari Effect, uh, Jake Miller, Nick Miller brothers, and then we got Easton McNeil uh, joining us tonight. And uh, we're going to talk a little bit about hunting. We're going to talk about Ohio hunting, see uh, some content creator stuff and uh, see whatever comes up and how that uh, conversation flows, if you guys are cool with that. Sounds great. We're excited. Thank you guys for having us on. Absolutely. Well, I mean, right off the bat, boys, uh, uh, I, I don't know if, if you want to do any quick little, you know, quick introductions about, you know, who you guys are and where you're coming from. And Well, I am the oldest of the three of us. Um, <laughs> that means I've been hunting longer than you guys are now. We all kind of started around the same time. Um, I am currently... I have a full-time job in marketing, so I, I do content production for a full-time job, and then that translates, obviously, into what we do here. Um, so that's a, a perfect perfect pairing, essentially, because I can practice my craft in the woods for work, and I can practice at work for the craft in the woods. Um, and that's kind of a meeting of the best of both worlds. But that's one of the things that we talk about a lot between the three of us. We're all 40-hour-a-week guys, so we're... We're essentially weekend warriors unless we can spare some vacation time. Um, and I'm married. I have three kids, so that makes my schedule even more busy. But somehow, we always still find a way in the woods because that's what we're passionate about. So, nice. and I'm a couple years younger than Jake. Um, we obviously grew up hunting together. Our dad got us involved in a, or at a very early age, and I think we were fortunate enough that some people get roped into hunting. I think they have maybe less than ideal hunting experiences and whether our dad knew what he was doing or not, he always put us on deer and we had some crazy wild hunts. I think that's really where, where we both got hooked, but you know, we've hunted together our whole lives and uh, super thankful to have a brother that's in this same stuff that I am. I know not everybody is as, as fortunate, but our passions are you know identical. So just like Jay said, I have a full-time job. I work in the energy um, industry here in Ohio. Um, and uh, no, no kids, no wife, so I get to hunt a little bit more than Jake right <laughs> in the future, I'm sure. So, so I'm Easton, similar to Nick. Uh, also, no kids and wife, fortunately yet. He's um, <laughs> close. Yeah, I'm, I'm getting there. But uh, I uh, work for a big construction company here in Ohio. I'm a field engineer, actually. So. Luckily, get to stay right around Mansfield. I do a lot of traveling as far as hunting goes, and the majority of my hunting actually takes place down in southern Ohio. So I kind of get to experience that side of Ohio, which is definitely different than what we get up here. So I guess that's that's about it about me. Nice. Well, so we guys talk about you've been hunting pretty much then your whole lives, which is awesome, and very similar stories from you know for Dimitri and I, you know, with our dad introducing us to hunting. Uh, now, did you guys normally grow up hunting private land, public land? And like, it doesn't matter to us. It's just just so we could kind of get a feel for, uh, you know, where you guys are headed and in, in the direction of what you're doing now. Sure. Yeah. It, 
think for all three of us, majority private, but the way that we started hunting on private land is night and day different than now. When we nice. used to hunt, and we, we were fortunate to have some land within the family, and our dad is in sales and knows you know all sorts of people in the area, and we had some really, really prime, really good permission properties, and we had sole permission. That's that's all we had growing up, and now we don't have a single piece of property that's sole permission. I, I personally think there's way more hunters in our area than there ever used to be. Um, a lot of guys leasing, which I'm sure you guys are familiar with. So all of the permission farms that we hunt now, there's also other guys hunting, sometimes multiple guys hunting. Um, so yeah, I'd say mainly private, but whenever we travel out of state, we're always, we're always on public and we do mess around on some, some public land in Ohio as well. But yeah, I, I was going to say, I mean, as far as going out of state, there's no private land for us and that all takes place on, on public. But the more serious I get about hunting, actually, even within Ohio, I like, it's never a bad idea to have more options, especially down south where there's more public land kind of at your disposal. I found myself branching out and kind of hanging cameras on public land and, and just keeping my options open, I guess, as far as as far as that goes. Yeah. Where we, where we are from, there's not probably more than 300 acres of public land total within an hour drive of us. So if you wanted to hunt public, serious public with, with some actual good terrain features and probably a decent deer herd, you had to travel two, two and a half hours to get there. So um, Easton's been lucky enough to be hunting a private farm down in the area where all of that public land is in the hills of Ohio. So closer to the Ohio River. And we're a lot further north than that. So Growing up, we didn't even hear, I mean, public land wasn't even something we ever talked about. So that's just recently in the last five or six years, I'd say. Well, going off the topic of leasing land is, you know, even in our area where we have a lot more public land yeah. to hunt than probably most people, but we're also running into some of the public land that's not state game lands, but, you know, land that's owned by someone else that maybe doesn't care who hunts it or, you know, a lot of that land in our area is getting leased out, you know, which was technically public where anyone could go on it. Now it's getting posted and, and leased to only a certain amount of people, which is kind of pushing more people onto the state game lands, which we're seeing uh, is probably going to have an influx of yeah. the amount of hunters on it. So, you know, the kind of the landscape is always changing. More people are trying to find that, you know, private land that they can quote unquote manage or, you know, limit the amount of hunters on it. So, you know, each area is going to have a little bit different challenge. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. We see a little bit of that as well. And the, the leasing game, I mean, every year just seems to, to become more and more prevalent. I don't know if it's social media or just the fact that, you know, word gets out people know they can do that and the throw dollar, you know, dollar bills around and we've lost We've lost some good farms due to that. We've never leased, leased ground. I, I hope we never have to, but it sometimes makes you wonder, you know, right now with how many people are going that route, you know, 10, 20 years from now, is that going to be you know, pretty much the only way to hunt a good piece of private land around here? I don't know. I hope that's not the case. But, well, the, the example is that we don't, we don't hunt a single property that we hunted 10 years ago because we either got pushed out by more hunters or – the, the property owner is leasing that land now. So the hun hunting history that we had 10 years ago on those properties, we've had to learn all new stuff in the last five or six years because of that transition and the turnover of, of leasing. 
Which is fun. It is fun, but yeah, it's just a different different challenge. But it, yeah, it's it's sentimental sometimes and sad when you lose those pieces that you kill a good deer on. You're like, man, we may never ever go back there, right? Well, and we, we've kind of talked about that in our last couple episodes is, you know, it's not just one year you kind of figure a piece of property or area you're hunting where it's that kind of the inventory year after year that you kind of piece things together. And we can transition into our first topic of how you guys take a new piece and kind of dissect it into, you know, maybe your e-scouting or putting boots on the ground to actually hunting that property since you sounds like you've been kind of evolving is, you know, since you've had to find new pieces to hunt. So, you know, kind of explain of how you go about that and kind of prepare for the upcoming season when you have to uh, navigate to this new piece. Sure. So I would say we all kind of differ a little bit, but Jake and I are more similar than Easton just because we hunt together a lot more. Um, And I'd say the last two years, specifically have have kind of changed for us we've been very aggressive the last couple of years and i would say going into a property we don't really e-scout all that much unless it's you know an out-of-state trip or a public land trip where we have a very narrow window we might try to do that a little more but around here anyway um especially this year we really just not not even trail cameras i mean just kind of dove into the property found the hot sign and started hunting it and as that kind of changed throughout the season we tried to change and, and keep up with that as well. So, um, you know, we do run trail cameras, we do run cell cameras and, and try to you know, use that to our advantage. But the last couple of years, we've had a lot of success um, just diving in, finding that hot sign, playing the wind and just, you know, setting up on that. And I think we've seen more you know, high caliber deer, had more encounters with mature deer the last two years than I can recall in, in years past, and I think it's just because of that. We haven't been afraid to go press in and, for lack of a better term, spook deer, and uh, I think it kind of has, has paid off in, in big dividends for us and seeing a lot of good deer. I don't know if you agree, but it's kind of what, what we've done the last, especially this year. We've, we've been a lot more strategic about how we enter and exit a, a specific hunting location. And the other thing that that plays into the reason why we haven't done a lot of east scouting is that, I mean, primarily where we hunt, the biggest terrain feature that you're going to find is a river. I mean, you might find 10 feet of elevation change. It's not like we have ridges and there's fingers that stick out. It's basically ag country. So you've got woodlots and fields that kind of define edges. You can get some habitat diversity in those woodlots, but then river system seems to be the thing that we've kind of gravitated towards that, that seems to be where we can find the best de- definition of deer movement and a lot of our scouting this year was hunts like you know we go make a sit on hot sign and see you know a mature buck working this edge and that's actually how i killed my deer this year you know we had a, a previous sit and saw a few good bucks using this edge had made the shift there you know uh, a couple sits later and, and ended up killing one so i guess from a scouting standpoint a lot of it was like aggressively hunting and then using that information from that sit to kind of fine tune and, and move in for the kill. So how does things change for you? Like we we're saying, like uh, just over the last couple of years, things have been changing, you know, routinely for you. How, what are some of those challenges that you have uh, encountered and, and you feel like you've grown to be a better hunter this year? Easton's had some, some challenges. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, definitely just, pressure of other hunters it's it's inevitable i mean 
we're all for everybody we hunt with. We hope to see success across the board. But like, I mean, you encountered that with the spot where you both killed your deer last year. I mean, somebody saw the video on YouTube and immediately, it was like a week later, had a stand hung basically in the same exact tree that you ended up killing your deer out of. Yeah, well, this is the next tree over again. Right. Yeah, so I mean, that that's that's one of those challenges. That, yeah. And basically, you guys never sat at that farm this year, did you? No. One, at one time. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Which is the, the, the game that anyone plays that hunts and, you know, is willing to put their, their videos out there. Um, and I'm sure you guys have, have probably run into similar situations. It's an, it's an interesting game. And a lot of times I think it can shoot you in the foot, but you know, it's, it's the passion that we've grown to love. So it's kind of that trade off, like do you stop doing it and, and maybe have a hunting spot for a little bit longer. You keep doing what you love to do and maybe you risk running into that situation. So yeah, that's been a challenge for, for all of us, for sure. I'd say the other one is just time. You know, Easton hunts, like we said, not not close to where we live, and that's 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 a challenge. I mean, you know, we don't we don't ever claim to be the guys that hunt for a living. You know, go out there every single day of the year. We're out there, you know, paying bills. We have other responsibilities, and uh, that's a challenge, right? You know, we love being in the woods, but you got got to find the time and make it work, and still have other aspects of your life functioning and, and, and going. <laughs> That's definitely a, a challenge we try to try to overcome, and I feel like we do a good job. But yeah, all of that stuff too is these challenges that have helped us to grow as hunters because it's forced us to make our moves count. Um, we don't have the luxury necessarily anymore of being able to go on weeknights after school because school is out at three o'clock or something. You need to get out for right. We have to be strategic about timing our vacation days with cold fronts. Um, be strategic about how close we're getting, how aggressive we're getting, because we don't have necessarily the ability to do three or four observation sits to figure out what the year is moving. We've got maybe a morning to, uh, to adjust and hunt in the afternoon. And sometimes it's, well, we hunted there Saturday, and we'll, we'll try again next week. Well, by then, everything could have changed, and so that intel doesn't make a difference anymore. We've got to be a lot more aggressive because of the challenges that we're facing and that's making us better hunters ultimately because we have to be thinking a lot more strategically we have to be we have to be dissecting and learning from every hunt that we that we go on because all that information is going to be a key for us going into not only the additional hunts of this year but also seasons in the future well and you talked about the the problem and challenge of having other hunters, even though you're hunting private, right? You, so you're, you're kind of having similar challenges to someone that's hunting public land is, is, you know, seeing other hunters and they have access to the same piece as you, you know, can you talk about how you use that maybe to your advantage, right? We, we hear about, but a lot of people talk about is, you know, kind of figuring out where people are going to be and, and kind of using that to your strategy of kind of seeing where deer are going to be pushed into. And we've, we've faced similar things on public land here in PA where, you know, we put boots on the ground and, and really try to dive deeper in and, and, and finding spots where we wouldn't encounter a lot of people, right. which we thought we had, I mean, geez, we could, 
can't go on and on about how many spots we thought were going to be good spots. No one's been here before. And boom, you see a trail camera. Boom, you see a tree stand. So, you know, we got to the point where we weren't trying to go further, but we were trying to pinpoint areas where, you know, maybe it was getting, you know, overlooked and, you know, or where the pressure deer are going to kind of migrate to when these people come into the area is there certain strategies that you use on the private ground even though there's a uh, other hunters in the area yeah i guess before you even get to the hunt i think a strategy we try to utilize is good communication and treating the landowner over the top well um and what i mean by that is a lot of these farms that we hunt where there's multiple people um for instance, the one that Jake and I killed our, our bucks on last year, there was, I think, like seven or eight other guys, probably more, honestly. He lets everybody hunt, but on, like, 200 acres. Yeah. Truthfully, everybody that hunts there, they, they basically just use the landowner. I mean, they don't communicate with him. They don't go see him. They don't want to do anything for him or with him. They just go, it's, you know, they're they're out there to, to reap the benefits for themselves and then do it again the next year. So we try to set ourselves apart with that. Our dad taught us from a young age, if somebody gives you permission at the end of that season, win, lose, or draw, you take them with a thoughtful gift basket, you, you know, get them a gift card to a restaurant, you take them a picture of the deer that you, you harvested, something that's uh, a little bit out of the box. So we try to always make sure we do that to start. And uh, I mean, to be transparent, to hopefully set ourselves apart and allow us to hunt there again the next year, because um, we don't think you know a lot of people are doing that. Um, but I think a lot of people on the farms we hunt kind of hunt like stationary would be the right word. Like yeah, just a little know, less aggressive or mobile. Yeah. Like a ladder, a, a 12 foot ladder stand on a four wheeler path type deal. So I wouldn't say it was, it's been super hard for us to get away from because I feel like we're pretty creative and, and kind of out of the box and, and definitely aggressive the last couple of years. And we're willing to walk miles. Right. Yeah. To the other side of a 200 acre piece instead of walking right through the middle of it like right most people would do so yeah one of the one of the properties we hunt i i was communicating with another guy that hunts there and uh you know he asked if i had any luck and i told him where i went it was like a 200 yard walk maybe and he was like man that's far i can't i can't believe you guys went back there and i thought holy cow <laughs> man you know <laughs> yeah we walk miles sometimes so <laughs> I think just, you know, trying to get away, but like you said, every once in a while, you think you have this great spot, whether you, you scouted it or whatever, and then you get there and boom, somebody else had the same idea. I think that's all kind of due in part to the media side of things too. Like, yeah. I mean, you can go on YouTube and one of the first things you're going to see is how to kill deer on public land. And like, that's all that's pushed right now is go super far, go super deep, get away from access. That's where all the deer are. And, and, Anybody that's consuming that type of media, that's going to be one of the first things that they're seeing online. So now everybody's doing the same thing. And before, you know, people were hunting the easy spots. Well, then that's not where the deer are anymore because they're getting pressured. So now everybody's going to the deep spots. Yeah. So I think you need to find, and maybe maybe there are spots where people aren't going deep or vice versa. But I think you need to figure out in that specific area, what are people doing? And then kind of find a way to differentiate yourself. And it comes down to, I mean, scouting, trail cams, e-scouting, however you want to, you know, mix it. There's deer out there, but you just got to find them and yeah. find them how other people aren't. And the other thing that we've tried in basically the last two years, I, I would say, is conserving conserving vacation time as much as we can so that we can take a four-hour afternoon or morning off to 
hunt during the week because almost everybody around here has a 40 hour week job just like us and they might work they might work the night shift but they uh, odds are they're not hunting monday through friday they're hunting saturday and sunday maybe a friday night here and there so if, if you're getting a property that's got pressure on those two days tuesday wednesday thursday can be the best bet for you and you might get a cold front that happens at that time and it can be absolutely money to hunt during the week so we've tried to be strategic that way too and we hunt it hard. We we hit it hard early. You know, from opening morning on, we hit it hard early. And I think there still is, at least some of the properties we hunt. The guys that you know, the season opens, they're just kind of getting their stuff together, getting their bow tuned, and they're, they're really waiting for that you know November time frame. And if we had it our way, you know, we we tag out in October every year. Um, so I think there's still not as many guys in the woods at that time. And, we're, we're trying to, you know, really hit it hard then to, to beat that rush. So, and it's thicker at that time, so it is more difficult to get deeper back because you've got a lot more obstacles in the way. The grasses are taller, the brush is thicker, can't see quite as far through the trees, and so hunting a four-wheeler path at that time might make the most sense, but it doesn't mean that that's where the deer are going to be. Right. Well, it's funny talking about, you know, how the deer react to a lot of pressures, you know, it's, it was rifle season for the last two weeks here in PA and, and, uh, it was a Friday last Friday, uh, and my <laughs> buddy and I were, we went out hunting and, you know, we, we found this public piece and we've never been in there before, but we figured we'd dive deep into it and, you know, um, kind of sneak around for the second half of the day. And, you know, we get to in the very back and, you know, we're walking around and we probably put on a couple miles that day. And, and man, I cannot believe the amount of tree stands that I saw and, and how many even close by, like probably half dozen of them, you would probably be able to see all six people <laughs> while you're in these stands. I, I mean, I don't know how people are using them or like I said, it was the first time we were in there and, you know, we didn't even jump a tail the whole time walking this whole piece and just kind of, uh, creeping along and you know we kind of worked our way back and and got to you know we were about 80 yards from the truck and there was one clear cut right there by the truck and my buddy walked through just kind of creeping along i walked the edge jumped out a, a big buck and obviously I, I i didn't have a buck tag with me and he kind of ran through a hole and just kind of jade hooked back into the clear cut my buddy never got a shot at it but you know it just goes to show is how those deer transition into the pressure and again, it's just trying to find those overlooked spots that maybe if everyone's thinking to go deeper, maybe it's closer to the road, right? Is better. And, and, you know, that just goes to show you got to just kind of learn of not just what the deer's movement is, but the people's pattern as well. Yeah, that's a, that's a great point to bring up. Somebody once told me they were doing like a deer drive and they had walks like this thicket and the buck jumped up after they were past them. So like you said, I mean, they're, I mean, they're smart animals. I mean, they, they, the pressure deep, like you said, maybe they're, they're they're hugging the road at that point, or maybe they're letting everybody walk past them, and then they're getting up out of their bed. And, and for a guy that's that's just that just knows the basics of go as far as you can, and that's where you'll find the deer. Some of those types of people aren't looking at terrain or where how the wind works or where a buck might bed. And a lot of the times, if you actually stop and think about it, it makes sense for these deer to bed close to access. If the wind's right, if maybe they have a little bit of elevate, elevation to use to their advantage to watch these spots. Yeah. And you and I hunted the spot last year during muzzleloader season, 
that was probably 200 yards away from access, and we had that buck slip in behind us. And I actually have a camera hanging there right now, and it's on a piece of public. And I mean, that's a piece that you could potentially probably get three and a half miles back on. And here's right there, 120, 130 inch buck on a piece of public that's right there next to access. Yeah, I, I mean, just to going on drives with you, Dimitri, I mean, I kicked out a couple of years ago, that buck, I kicked him out when I was three, four yards in front of him. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? It was that thick laurel. I mean, so I, you couldn't really see him, but I mean, exaggerating, maybe 13 yards. But I mean, I was right on top of him until he finally busted a move. Talking to my brother, same thing, like when he'd go out with this couple of weeks ago, uh, last weekend with his buddy and his crew, He's like, we jumped a couple deer and we literally were stepping on them until they finally were getting up to move. I mean, they're just trying to not have to make any move. <laughs> I mean, it's it's kind of, I mean, when you think about it, when it's the time of uh, getting chased by coyotes or whatever, you know, they're going to sit still until they, they don't have to move. And it's the same for us. But um, now, Easton, you talk about you were having some troubles and, uh, you know, what is the kind of different terrain features down in Southern Ohio that, that you're you were mainly hunting compared to what uh, Jake and Nick were doing. Yeah. So I feel like I'm finally starting to crack the code a little bit, but up until even just a couple of years ago, that, that Southern Ohio stuff has kicked my tail <laughs> compared to here. I mean, down there, everything's about 200 ish feet in elevation change from your river bottoms to your ridge tops. That transition happens in a, pretty fast manner. I mean, some of those hills are, I mean, you're on your hands and knees to get up them. Um, and wind is definitely something, especially on the piece that I'm hunting, that it's definitely not in your favor. Uh, access sits on the south end of the property. So that's been a huge thing to overcome. And it took me a few years to realize, like, I need to be winging out to completely keep my wind from blowing into the spots where the bucks are bedding. And that's Kind of the point I was going to is where the bucks bed. Seems like here there's really not much consistency because there's no defined terrain features that dictate a where they bed and b how they move. Unless you have like a river or something or an edge, a hard edge that's gonna that's gonna you know keep them moving in a certain area. I mean down south, the high points kind of on the leeward ridges and the points that kind of secondary ridges that come off of the main ridge system are probably the spots where I see the most bucks bedding. And I've kind of honed in on the few of those terrain features that I have on this property. And then obviously that translates right on over to public land, but that's definitely something that's night and day different between here and there is the, the definite terrain features that dictate how a the deer move and B where they bed. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's crazy how to just hear how, what you guys deal with. And, you know, we were talking about preseason and put, putting out cameras and you guys are going in aggressive, trying to tag out even before everybody kind of, cause I think even for you in Ohio, your season starts in September and only parts of Pennsylvania starts in September, uh, like kind of near Pittsburgh and Philadelphia area. So the whole state's not open yet. Uh, so like Demetri and I, like we don't drive anywhere. We just wait until the statewide, you know, when that starts to happen and maybe you do see some people going out and glassing and not necessarily doing, maybe doing observation sits once that season rolls around and maybe, you know, you're in it, what are some of the 
you know, quote unquote, pivot things, strategies that you are doing to maybe make a change because you were getting a deer on camera A, uh, but now you're not, you know, are you trying to relocate and uh, maybe going off past history if you're able to? What are maybe some tactics or strategies that you've used to be a little bit more successful uh, on some of your properties? I'd say we have a couple like go-to historic spots that that we can still hunt that when in doubt, like if we're, you know, cameras are dead or whatever, we're just having some slow hunts, we'll go and sit and I hate to say it, but almost just to kind of take a stab at it and, and hope something happens. But uh, more recently, the last couple of years, if, you know, if we're having a, a slow sit, kind of like I said, with us hunting early season, like we're just, we're going in and, and we're finding the, the really hot sign, whether that's scrapes or rub lines and setting up on, I know this year, we didn't even, the, the property we ended up spending all of our time on in the, the farm that I killed on, we didn't step foot on it until opening morning. And we went in opening morning, Jake and I did, put the wind in our face, waited till daylight, and we just still hunted. And we ended up walking up on a, a real nice, solid eight-pointer, um, and he was with a bachelor group of bucks. We got to, like, within 40 yards. I thought Jake was going to get a crack at him. And uh, so we slipped right back in there that evening with the right wind and had a great sit and ended up spending a lot of time in there, had an encounter with some just some awesome deer. And once that kind of died down, we threw the stands back on our backs and, you know, we went searching for, for scrapes at that time, like some solid areas that just had scrapes wide open and we were focused there. That kind of went south and moved spots and saw a bunch of action on this edge, ended up moving to this edge and, and killed the buck. So, um, you know, and we don't anymore – I'd say we don't put a lot of stake in our, our trail cameras, truthfully. We, we run cell cameras and we run trail cameras, but we've learned over the years that they miss a lot. They, they miss a lot. And uh, I, I'd say years ago, if we didn't have a good one on camera, we just probably wouldn't go and hunt. Like, oh, there's nothing showing up on camera. And now we have these cameras in areas and we're going out hunting and seeing these bucks, you know, we've never seen. It's like, you know, what? <laughs> so... I wouldn't say we ever let that kind of deter us from being out there and, and going and finding where the action is. Um, now that's not, and that's not conducive for every property. Some, you know, if you're hunting a 10 acre property, you're probably not going to be able to bounce around and do that, but we're fortunate enough to have some bigger parcels so we can, we can kind of, instead of over here, Hey, we're going to go walking and we're going to find something that's not, not dead. So yeah, I had an interesting question. I, I actually do like trail cam historical data. I mean, they do miss stuff. So yeah. just because you're not getting pictures doesn't mean you shouldn't go at all. But as far as, I mean, using last year, the past couple of years, daylight pictures over a scrape, oh, yeah. like especially scrapes, like the one farm that I hunt, the majority of the time, seems like the scrapes are in the same spots year after year, especially if you're able to go in and trim up some of those spots where you don't necessarily want scrapes. And that's kind of one of those luxuries that you only get on on private land is you can kind of put the odds in your favor, I guess. But I, I definitely like historical tra trail cam data. And then like you said, is not just expecting the deer to be moving in a spot all year long. I mean, you find them early and especially in that early, like late September timeframe, you're going to get like a week, probably tops of them doing what they're doing at that time before they're doing something else. Like seems like that's the, that kind of the, peak tilting point, I guess, yeah. where they're about to move into what I would consider more of a, a fall deer activity type of movement deal. So being mobile um, and kind of keeping after what's most recent 
is huge for us. Yeah. And as far as like knowing what deer are on your property, we can bait in Ohio. And we used to, you know, run some bait sites just to get inventory and figure out, you know, what bucks are there to hunt, whatever. And um, we didn't we didn't really do that this year. Or we didn't at all do that this year on the, the farm that we hunted. So any any trail camera information, and it was the first year we, we deer hunted it, any trail camera information was scrapes, trails, you know, areas that we thought looked good. So uh, we were missing, like I said, a lot of action. It was, it was a bigger property. So, but yeah, you can, you know, have a food plot or a, a, a corn pile in the, late season if, or the even the summer or whatever and figure out what bucks are there and, and kind of know what what crop of deer you're working with that season um and we used to do that quite a bit and for money purposes and and needed sometimes we didn't really do that this year but part of the thing that we that we struggle with because of where we hunt in the ag area without de defined terrain features to help us better predict deer movement is that there isn't like a major trail system that's three quarters up a ridge system that they're going to walk consistently. There's five or six trails within a 50 or 60 yard wide section. And you never know what, what trail the deer are going to walk on. So that's why specifically in, in this central Ohio area where we hunt, a lot of the trail cameras miss so much stuff because you might get a deer that never walks on the trail that your camera is over because he's got five or six other options and those are the ones that he prefers. So a lot of our a lot of our most productive information comes from visually seeing where your deer are, what their tendencies are, and being able to move as immediately as we can to capitalize on that information. It is time for this week's Vortex Nation highlight. For this week's Vortex Nation highlight, let's talk about keeping it simple. If you are into filming your hunts, maybe all you need to do is get in there with a cell phone. Maybe you have a GoPro or maybe you have a, I don't know, handy cam, some type of video camera to do it. You just need to keep it simple. How fun doing it. I know for me at times, man, I can't stand it. I love it. I hate it. I love it. I hate it. Just keep it simple. Do what's best for you. Don't worry about putting pressure on yourself, trying to make, you know, someone else happy or anything along those lines. Just do what makes it, you know, fun and enjoyable for you. Just keep it simple. Now, are you guys able to, on the piece of uh, private that you're hunting, have historical um, year after year with some of the deer that you kind of recognize and then are kind of making it, uh, for a couple of years and you're kind of going after some of those deer or is it kind of, you know, here in PA where we've had one, one deer that we had a little bit of history, which came to an end, um, this year, but typically with the, the rifle season and so many deer getting taken and, you know, year after year changes of what deer are coming into the area. Um, so I think historical data is a little bit more difficult for us, you know, as far as trying to figure out that same deer moves this at this time or, you know, time of year or getting daylight photos. Do you, do you kind of see that where you're at or, you know, are you able to kind of pattern a deer year after year a little bit more? I'd say it's kind of a mixed bag. Uh, we're not PA, but we're not Iowa. So yeah, we're in between. We've definitely killed deer and, and, and had history with deer for multiple seasons. And it has happened. Like our dad killed a, a, a really good one last year that we had known about for a couple of years, had pictures of. 
And uh, I mean, you've you've definitely done that the last couple of years, um, but not as much as as you you sometimes see, you know, online or YouTube or whatever. Uh, you know, a lot of a lot of bugs get killed on the neighbors. It seems like we, we see a lot of deer like at that three year old stage, and we're like, man, we can't wait for the next year. And then it's just like there's more three year olds in there next year. Like it's like where did those where did those suckers go? It's just another crop of you know immature deer that are right there on the fence that we don't really want to shoot and we're like waiting for them to get to four or five and then they're gone so yeah i can't sit here and say like yeah this happened a, a bunch but it, it has happened yeah now we're getting here for pennsylvania i don't know what the laws are right now in ohio i think from the last time i remember talking to brian it, it runs pretty late for you guys your season doesn't end till Jan- end of january is that right it's usually the end of the first week of February. Yep. Okay, so now for us, we're coming up to, uh, we are in a dead period until the Monday after Christmas, so which would be the 27th. Um, that's when we're able to go back out with the flintlock or archery again. So I'll be heading out. I'm still looking for to fill a buck tag. I'm still looking to fill some doe tags. You know, what kind of history do you guys have going out that late season? Do you even do it? And, uh, you know, maybe what are some strategies that, that, uh, if you do that, you kind of hone in on. So Easton and I are lucky enough to, to be tagged out. We're a one buck state. We, we got our tag. So we're all focused on Jake right now, getting him one in the late season. And I think, I mean, just like anywhere, this time of year can be, can be fire. Um, you know, if you have the food, you're, you're going to have the deer and our shotgun season just ended. Um, we have a, a second shotgun weekend and then a muscle loader season coming up. But, you know, our dad killed a, a real nice buck last year, I think like February 2nd, right? I mean, the last week of the season. Uh, I'm not a huge fan, personally, of our season going that long. I think bucks get shot that are shed at that point in time that shouldn't. Um, people thinking their does or whatever. Um, I, don't, I don't think it needs to go quite that long. But, uh, you know, we're hunting food at that point, so... We have some private farms that we're able to, to work on and, and quote-unquote manage so we have you know some food plot opportunities and, and things like that that we'll be kind of shifting our focus over to a little bit here. Late season seems to be most effective when you hunt it like you would hunt early October. The deer are on a much more definitive movement pattern. They're, they've got two things on their mind, and that's food and water. They don't care about breeding anymore. They don't care about cruising anymore. They're going to be where they're comfortable, where they can get enough calories, and where they feel safe. Um, so, some sometimes you can go off of old sign, um, like early October rub lines. Sometimes deer will move back into those spots late in the season if you've got the right mixture of things in that area. Um, but you don't have you don't have the haywire deer movement that you have in November, so it's it can sometimes be easier to hunt this time of year because if you can figure out where they where they're going, where they like to be, you can you can get on them pretty easily. And we've noticed something the last the last handful of years, um, kind of just repeat situations that are like, man, there's something to this. Maybe you guys can relate to this, but we've noticed a lot of deer late in the season. I think guys even transitioning into like shed season, but but where they're spending their time late season. A lot of guys are like pushing into the deep, thick stuff. Like, right, they're getting pressure. They're in the thick stuff. We notice a lot of mature bucks, like in the wide open, like bedding in open hardwoods, timber. And I think they're like, 
maybe so stressed or so pressured at that point that they can they can bet there and they know I got the wind in my face, I can see forever. And I almost feel like some of these mature deer prefer that instead of going into this thick, nasty stuff. They're stressed out, right? They're worn out. They don't want to maneuver through that. I could be completely wrong, but we've noticed on some of the farms we hunt, especially with you late, and then, like I said, transitioning into shed season, like we're finding these giant match sets in the middle of some open hardwoods, and uh, it just seems counter counterproductive or not counterintuitive. counterintuitive to what a lot of people think or what a lot of people say. Um, well, something we've noticed that's consistent across the board with that is the close proximity to food. Yep. It's always an open area and a very short distance between where they're bedding and where that food is. And a couple hundred yards. Yeah, it's, exactly. it's usually they're not trying to waste or burn a bunch of calories moving back and forth. And especially in this area where we're at right now, everything's pretty much food. And what I do notice later in the season is they're not dispersed across all the fields. It's like you find one field and all the local deer in that area are moving to one specific field and how they pick that, whether there's just leftover grain or what that may be, I don't know, but it seems like it's it's definitely more concentrated at that point in the season. That's just a, that's a, a smaller example of the natural tendency of most, most ungulate animals, which is yarding. That's what they do after the rut's over. They they yard up and get back to their group because there's safety numbers. There's more eyes. There's more noses. So, which makes it hard to hunt. All those things we just said combined. I think down south or maybe in PA, maybe get away with you know some terrain features that help you. But going into it, uh, open hardwoods with a cut cornfield and all bedding in that open hardwoods. Like you're definitely gonna have to get creative and find some some different ways to hunt them. Um, but yeah, food and and finding where they're they're herded up. And, concentrated yeah now will you find your guys uh more likely to maybe hunt over some bait piles since it is legal in ohio and maybe food sources are a little more limited in late season if you have some tags to fill, will you feel a little more obligated to do that and then maybe if you guys feel comfortable you don't have to answer it you know do you like that you're able to bait in ohio do you not like it would you rather just hunt like food plots and, and that source similar to what it's legal in pa um maybe if you can elaborate on that a little bit if you feel comfortable if not that's totally fine as well that's a tough question we've talked about this several times as a group and one of the one of the conclusions that we came to i'm not sure we haven't talked about it in the last year or so but one of the conclusions that we came to three or four years ago was if it's legal to plant food plots, why wouldn't it be legal to also put out a bait pile? It's, you're still manipulating the habitat. You're still providing the deer with food. One just requires more sweat equity. So like Nick said earlier on one of your questions, we don't have a problem with it. Um, it is, it's a legal method. So if you're in a state where it's legal, by all means, that's something that you should take advantage of. And, uh, yeah, I think we have enough issues in Ohio with people doing things that are against the rules, it's hard enough to get people to follow just the simple rules that we do have. So if it's legal, I, I say let people do it. I wouldn't say we're huge proponents of it, especially anymore. We've, I mean, we used to be bigger on it. And I think now we kind of have more of an appreciation for hunting them, how they would naturally like to move the skill of. Yeah, and it's kind of become more of like a woodsmanship type thing to want to hunt them doing what they naturally want to do. Um, but 
to kind of answer the other part of your question, especially in the late season, if you dump out a couple hundred pounds of corn and sit over it, you can see some pretty amazing things over a corn pile in January in Ohio. And I would say, too, this is going to sound selfish of me, but I'm a very transparent person. I'm especially for baiting during our gun seasons, um, you know, trying to suck deer into our, our some of our spots that people can't hunt, um, trying to keep them maybe close. That might be a that might be kind of a hopeless thing, like that the odds of that happening probably aren't very good, but I like I, I put corn out this year on a farm that we didn't even hunt during gun season as a protective measure. Trying to keep some deer close because it just gets so hammered by, you know, the the one day opening day gun season guys that, you know, head out there that haven't shot their shotgun in five years and uh so yeah, I'll 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 do that. Um you know, more so than anything to try to hopefully maybe suck some deer into an area and, and try to get them to the, the next phase there, the next level there. All I think about is that meme that I saw from the character from uh, the office when, you know, you hunt all bow season after that one target buck and this guy shoots your that deer <laughs> on open day of gun season. And then he's wearing like a, you know, beanie hat and looks like a complete asshole. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like I said, I'm, Sounds selfish, but and we and to answer your question, yes, we have shot deer over corn. We have put corn piles out, so yeah, we we're not we're not opposed to it. it came down to it, and you know the last couple weeks of the season, we don't have a buck. I have a buck, but we'll pull out. We'll pull out all of the stops as long as it's legal and ethical. Yeah, cool, man. No, that's. I mean, like I said, we're getting to that that's that time, and uh, the area where I hunt, uh, it's you know it's little little wooded lot that i have access to and uh it's it 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 holds dough like crazy i mean you're talking just a little mini herd and uh they just need to be you know shot <laughs> there's just too many of them and uh it's one of my favorite time to hunt just because it 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 is different hunting it's not like what i'm we do normally throughout the year but it's fun and uh if it's the opportunity to to put some meat in the you know for my family that's exactly what i'm i'm doing and uh that's what i like to do so that's coming up for me and like you said it it's it has to cover and trying to find they go and feed down into some little fields and uh come back in the cover spot is where i have access to and you know usually uh i have a pretty good high percentage chance of being in the right spot and i just got to hopefully connect and uh so that that that's going to be coming up right after christmas like i said for us uh i'll be away that monday uh tuesday so that wednesday the 29th uh is when i'll be getting after it for sure and uh so hopefully uh yeah maybe maybe dimitri will come out and help uh, film quote unquote <laughs> for me we'll see if it, on any warm day but so late season you're focusing on that food trying to find that cover like you guys were saying and you know you guys were you alluded to earlier about with the content stuff about having other people you know possibly get in and around your area be after putting you know some some of that content out you know this is something that dimitri and i we've talked about we we're going to talk about it on a couple of future podcasts but you guys do a really good job uh, I, I noticed you guys have a good nice little uh following on youtube and you put out some really cool content on that side of things. And, you know, obviously, uh, Jake, you were saying this is kind of like what you do for a living and, you know, we're the same boat. Dimitri is a physical therapist, you know, 40 plus hours a week, two kids, family, uh, weekend warrior. I'm a teacher, uh, in the same boat, you know, and, uh, I, it is sometimes it is 
it's frustrating and it's it's difficult but man you love it just because it, it is your passion you know how do you guys you know you're saying you, you do a pretty good job balancing that and you don't have to explain how you balance that but you see you see a bunch of stuff online whether it be forums instagram all that type of stuff and people want to know or what to do when they get into it you know what maybe what would you say if you got like a young kid or someone that's like, Hey, I'm looking into starting a page or starting a, a YouTube channel. Like what, you know, <laughs> what would you tell them uh, about before doing it? I, I was wondering if you'd ask a question like this. We talk about this often because we've been at this game for a long time. We've been, we've been filming our hunts since before YouTube was even a thing. That's just, you know, our dad got us into it and he would have his phone in his one hand and a camera in the other hand. And we'd be, you know, trying to keep up with them in the woods. And more times than not, instead of shooting a deer, he'd be filming it with his camera. So we just, that's how we always hunted. You know, we, it wasn't for YouTube. It wasn't for anyone else. It wasn't for Instagram. It was so when we got together on Thanksgiving with our big family of hunters, we could slap it on the big screen TV and say, Hey, look at this buck we saw. So, you know, when we kind of went down the, the brand side of things, um, we got roped into the, the pro staff, the sponsor, the this company, the that company. And we learned very quick that the hunting industry is an interesting space. Um, <laughs> I think there's a lot of people that are in it for the wrong reasons. Um, yeah. Just talking to you guys, you know, we can obviously tell the type of people you are. You're, you're the real world hunters, right? The guys that, that have a job that people can relate to that go out and still make it happen because they love it so much. And that's what we want to convey. And that's, that's why we're in it. Um, whether there was YouTube or not, you know, that's just, this is just what we love doing. So for new people, and we've had this conversation with, with new folks that get into it, you know, we try to, to help them not lose sight of the reason why they're out there doing that. And, and it might be different, you know, whether you want to go shoot a four point on video or you want to hold out for a 180 inch deer and not film it, like whatever that is, you got to figure that out. And, uh, I, I recommend treading, Lightly or being very careful, um, you know, who you get involved with and just make sure they have uh, similar, um, what's the word I'm looking for? <laughs> Ethics. Yeah. And, uh, Beliefs. All lines. I would say set your goals according to what you actually want. Yeah. I think you get on social media and that's not reality. If you were to look at my Instagram page, you'd think I just hunt, every, I mean, seven days a week. That's not the case. I mean, people post what they want to post to portray what they want people to think of them. If, like you said, if, a, if it's a, a four point that makes you happy, do it, shoot it. Absolutely. So define, you know, your goals and what you define as success to your own standards and not somebody else's is probably my piece of advice. And for someone who's getting into, let's say they want to start, because there, there, there are people that we know in our area that run social media pages, but they don't, it's just a photo at the end when they're successful. There's no like prep work of trying to film a hunt from multiple angles and stuff like that. Um, for someone that wants to do that specifically, I would say focus on the hunt first and let the cameras be secondary. And I mean, there are a lot of times where we don't get the perfect shot on film, if at all, but to us, the, the cameras are secondary to the experience of the hunt. If you bring cameras to the woods and you get frustrated and you end up feeling beat down, like you can't do anything right, 
then the cameras don't need to be with you anymore. Yep. So that's probably the one thing that I would say to someone who's trying to film their hunt. Less is more, simple is better, and if it gets in the way, put it down for a little while until you can get yeah. back to actually enjoying hunting and what it's supposed to be all about. Yeah, it's a little bit fun. And that pressure is elevated now because of it. it's kind of like contradictory or almost like hypocritical, but like because of the social media and the YouTube and the, all that, some of these new guys get in and they, they put all this pressure that's not even real on themselves because they're seeing all this success and all these guys talking about big deer and you got to shoot them if they're this old and whatever. And, and you know, that's not how it should be. And it's an unfortunate world we live in. So we need more folks like, you know, yourself and, and, and putting hunting out there in a positive light and, and reminding these, these younger kids coming up or, or even older people that, Hey, it's okay. Like if, if that trips your trigger, go for it. As long as it's legal and as long as it's ethical, go for it. And what, one of the things that the traps that we fell into when we started this whole thing, we were, we were in our teens. So we were young and naive. We, we had a little bit of the invincibility complex about us and thought that we could do things better than anybody else. And so we tried, and I don't think there's anything wrong with trying that, but this is probably for every hunting industry, fishing industry, outdoor industry consumer at large. You have to look at, you have to look at our space as a completely different animal than any other industry, maybe with the exception of fitness and wellness. Because there are people on Instagram that are fitness influencers and they can make a living by doing that stuff. Just like maybe there are some people who can make a living by running a YouTube channel for hunting and fishing, but there, there is no barrier of entry there. If you want to be a professional in the NASCAR space, you have to be a NASCAR driver. You can't just be some Joe Schmo that drives a power wheels around the backyard. It doesn't work like that. Um, so there's a barrier of entry in that space. If you want to be making money for in, in football as a living, you've got to be one of the best of the best at playing football in order to, to break that barrier. We don't have that. Anyone off the street can attempt to make that plunge. There's, there's, it's, it's much easier to feel as if you can break that boundary, but odds are it, it's just like the NFL. There are going to be maybe a half a percent of people that can earn a living in the outdoor world, just like there are half a percent of high school football players that actually make it to the big leagues and earn a living playing football. It's the same, same way with hunting. So you, you can't approach it as if you're going to make money. You have to approach it as if it's something that you enjoy doing. And for us, filming is something that we enjoy doing most of the time. We don't let it get in the way of the other, the other aspects of hunting that we enjoy. Which is why I think you see so many of these younger people, you know, start these YouTube channels or these Instagram pages, whatever. They're hot and heavy for, you know, six months, and then they just kind of flake off. It's because maybe they weren't really in it for the right reasons. Uh, you, if you love to do it, you're passionate about it, and you would do it, no matter what anyway, those are the ones that I think make an impact and end up lasting, you know, long-term. So, yeah. Well, and I also think that someone that's going to put themselves out there is you got to have thick skin to be in this oh, industry, boy, yeah. you know? And the, the funny thing that I've experienced in, in the short amount of time that we've kind of been doing this is 
the critics are, you know, you would think that a lot of our critics would be non-hunters, people that are trying to attack the, the industry from the outside, right? And a lot of the, the critics are coming from the inside, other hunters, right? And, and you know, everyone's situation is different, you know, and you watch a lot of YouTube videos or podcasts or, you know, whatever platform people are putting themselves out there. And, you know, even though you're doing ethical the right things, but they're these people that are also hunters are attacking you, you know, and they don't even know your background or the story. And it's unbelievable the the amount of negativity that we have within the industry or within the hunting community itself. Terrible. That's that's a great that's a great point. It's like we're on the same team, right? We're, yeah. we're all fighting the same fight. We all go through the same thing and uh yeah, it's, that's a great point, and we, we see, yeah, we see that a lot as well. And the catch-22 that people like us see in the industry is that one of the reasons why we're doing this is because there are people out there that need, the more hunters, the better. That's something that people should enjoy. Even if someone watches our videos and doesn't get involved in hunting, but they pick up a bow and arrow and they start shooting archery, that's a win for us. We want to be able to communicate with those people. But in order to do that, we have to get through all of the negativity that comes your way too. So if you want to, if you want to maintain that positive influence by reading and engaging in the comments, you have to be able to drudge your way through all of the negativity too. So, yeah, I, w- I would say even like personally, like for me, I like, like as far as filming, I, I would rather sit there and, and re- review a product or do something along those lines. I like doing those type of videos this year. I really tried my best to sell film. And I, there came a part where when I had that encounter with the buck down below with you and your dad that morning. And I was, I got the, like, I could have had a shot opportunity, but I was too focused on trying to get the camera going in the right position. And then he came up and you know what I mean? Like there came a point where I was just like, screw this. I just want to hunt. And, you know, and, and there are times where I'm I'm not saying I'm, you know, there are things where I might have ideas or like for cool shots or whatever like that. I just don't have the time to sit there and say, Hey, you know, cause you don't either Dimitri, Mm -hmm. you, we don't have the time to sit there and say, Hey, I'm going to film you. I would love more than anything to be like, Hey, Dimitri, I'm filming you tomorrow that Saturday, but because that might be the only Saturday that I have to hunt, we're hunting separately. And like, yes, they're self-filming, but at the same time, that's where it's, it's cost me already a couple more times than I would have liked. And like, I've, I've come to just bring the GoPro. And so now, and shit, half of the time I forget to even hit record when I have deer encounters or maybe a shot opportunity just because I'm in the moment and man, that's okay. Like we're not, we're not, we didn't make it a, we never did. Uh, uh, here's our YouTube channel where you film our hunts. Do you know what I mean? Like we, we are, we're a podcast podcast platform. We'd love getting on to talk about hunting. We'd love to have you three on to tell your story. Uh, yes, I love gear. So we'll throw up some gear review videos and do all that type of stuff. Like that's where I like to do things, you know, but until one day where I can, you know, unless like, you know, Jake, Nick or Easton, one of you were like, Hey, Jeremy, come out for some time. I'll pay you. <laughs> Obviously you're not going to do that, but unless that's the case, like I'm, I can't take the time to just film. Uh, and I've like, you get like, you know, one of you said earlier, I just don't right now, I need to put it on the back burner for self filming. I just leave it at home and I just want to go hunt. Yeah. I mean, I, 
I got mad respect for that. At the end of the day, you're a hunter first, and, and we even say that. Uh, I think you see a lot of like guys that film their hunts on YouTube, and they call their buddies like, "Hey, I got one." And like the first question they ask is, "Did you get it on film?" And I'm like, yeah. first thing I'm saying is like, "Dude, like let's go. Let's, you're a hunter. I'm pumped that you got your deer. I, you got the video. Sweet. We're gonna make a YouTube video. If you didn't, you got your deer, man. Like that's kind of where we're at." With, with, with that you know we're hunters first that's why we got in it to begin with in the first place and you know we're all super competitive so I, I have a lot of respect for you for passing deer that aren't on video like yes we love the hunt yes we love the memories maybe I should just speak for myself here but like at the end of the day I, I have a task to complete like I, I want to be successful what you know just like Tom Brady wanted to go out there and, and win every football game like you know I, I when I go out and hunt I, I want to get my buck that season like that's that's what I'm there to do so I I don't, I would never, you know, sacrifice and, and maybe when I was younger, but you know, the video for, for me filling my tag. And so I have a lot of respect for guys that do that. Cause I, I don't have the, I don't have the self-control to, to do that. I know, man, it's, it's tough. Like Dimitri said, and you guys said it, it's a weird world that we live in, no matter, I think what uh, world or facet that we're trying to you know, category you fall in fitness and hunting and uh, sports or business. I don't care what it is. I think it's just a weird thing. Actually, right now in my health class, we're covering media and consumerism. And we've talked about this. We watched the social dilemma in school. And uh, I brought up some of the hunting things. I brought up about how, you know, Dimitri, we were posted, uh, you know, his deer the other day. And, and uh, you know, somebody, co somebody commented about passing, you know, six points or this and that. It's like, you know, like we said it, uh, you know, respectfully, you know, we just, they don't know our, st your story. They don't know, yeah. you know, you got mouths to feed. Like that's one of your big things that you do. And, you know, I, I know, again, it sounds so weird too, because I, you almost, I, I don't want to defend it, but you have to almost in mm -hmm. a sense of saying like, well, you know, we eat or like what we go out there, but at the same time, like legit, you do. You know, I, I don't know. Like, that's just annoying, too, for the fact that, like, you you actually have to explain that. Um, I don't know. Yeah, something you said earlier is you like to film gear, videos, and you throw them up on YouTube. And I, I, I kind of like to think that's kind of similar to us, except, you know, we, we like to film our hunts for our own enjoyment. Like, you like to do it for your own self. Yeah. That's what we like to do. So we film it because I live for being able to relive that memory. And while we're at it, you throw it on YouTube because maybe somebody else will enjoy it or maybe somebody else will learn something yeah. from it. And I think people get the wrong notion. Like you've had people, oh, you guys make claims to shoot giant deer. And I mean, yeah, never claim that. Never <laughs> I mean, that. there may be a year that I'm shooting the first year that comes by. So I'm not going to make any claims and, we do what we like to do. We put it out there because maybe somebody else will, maybe somebody else won't. Yeah, but I shot a, I shot a 10, 12 inch spike a couple of years back in Kentucky. Yeah. <laughs> and, and you were thrilled. I was pumped. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, it's just an interesting, like you said, it's a very interesting space. And it, you, even if you set the, the media apart aside from it, hunting's so interesting too because, you know, with like football or, or re I'll use wrestling as an example. We were we were wrestlers, and uh, you know you can you can put more time in and and make big jumps to to be good, right? You can go from being novice, and you put the time, you put the work in, you know, you can go out and, and make it to the state tournament. Like you can put that work in and, and see giant leaps. With hunting, 
you can also you can do that, but the deer still has to, to do its job, right? You can I don't care how much scouting you do, I don't care how much you know prep work you do, how many trail cameras you run, all this stuff. You can go set up somewhere where you know where this buck is bedding, and the neighbor can still drive his four wheeler by and kick him up out of his bed, and you did everything right, and you still weren't successful. So I think like to tie the media side back into that, like it can be so frustrating for, for some hunters. And that's an important thing to also not let get to you to, you know, we sit here sometimes and think, man, like, you know, we, we put all this work in, we spent all this time and all this money. And then you see this guy, you know, go out who's never picked up a bow before in his life and he shoots a 200 inch deer. <laughs> and so interesting about hunting is that like that, that can happen. And, right? you, and at the end of the day, you look like the, the inexperienced one yeah. because you've done everything right, but nobody knows that because the only thing people know about you is what you put on me on social, social media. media. So yeah. here you have a guy who shot a 200 incher who knew nothing about hunting and you who's done everything right all season long. And it does ultimately boil down to there's a little bit of luck. Like a lot, there's a lot of luck. I don't think I'm a good hunter whatsoever and probably will never claim to be, but it, it boils down to a reflection of how much time I put into it because yeah. you're either hooked with it or you're not. And yeah. I mean, I've seen people who are very interested in hunting get into it dabble in it a little bit and, and don't get that hook and kind of, you know, phase out of it. Or there's people who it's, it's essentially a sickness. Like you have to do it. That's all you want to do. It's all you think about. And no matter what, you will find a way to be in the woods mm -hmm. and be successful. And it's not because you're a good hunter necessarily to a degree, but time because you put the time in and you, and you want to be successful. Well, I even think a lot of it too is with social media is we're going to lose a lot of new hunters or young hunters. And I've said that a lot on the podcast before when this subject kind of comes up about social media is, you know, because a lot of the young hunger, hunters, you know, maybe they need to shoot that spike or the four point just because they don't have the knowledge to get on the mature deer and, you know, and young kids, we just know naturally that they want to post things on social media. They like the likes, they like to show their friends. Right. And that's kind of how they interact nowadays, but you know, they're going to get that criticism and are they going to be able to take it like you and I, and all of us, I mean, if someone said something negative, we don't really care. Right. You know, we're just going to laugh about it and just move on. Right. And cause we love hunting. We don't care what people say, but we still put it out there just cause that's what we want to do and educate people. But you know, the young hunters, the new hunters that maybe are really proud about it, right. Are, are going to get these negative comments and then kind of be discouraged, right? Those are the people that we worry about when we, we talk about new hunter growth and really growing the sport and let it continue. And that's what we need is the support. You know, I, I've even watched some some YouTube videos of, of some young hunters and they'll, they'll shoot a deer and it's like they grab their cell phone and they're just like texting somebody. They're not even like excited, right? There's someone filming there that, you know, you or I or any of us would be fist pumping and high fiving and, you know, going crazy and shaking. And, and these young hunters I've seen on YouTube, they're just kind of like sitting there like, oh yeah, I shot a deer, you know? And it's like, where's the excitement? Is it because it was a doe or was it because it was a spike and it's not that 180 inch deer that you see every day on, on Instagram, you know? Uh, I mean, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's a different aspect that I'm seeing with the, the youth. Right. And I don't know how to fix it. Right. I wish I had an answer. Yeah. I mean, geez, I saw, I shot a, a doe with my rifle, which doesn't even really, I would never think it would excite me. And I'm sitting there talking to my wife on the phone and I'm like, 
my hands are shaking for dough, right? You know, and I just shot it with a rifle, not even a bow. And, you know, I was so excited about it. And it just, the excitement's always there, no yeah. matter what it is, right? And, uh, you know, you're just not seeing that with you. So, you know, that's another thing that we have to think about of how social media affects that as well. Yeah. And I think, too, to go even off of that, I mean, again, going on a, you know, Dimitri, you're covering a nice, beautiful, broad side of things. Like personally, being 34 years old, I'm still in the killing deer business. You know what I mean? Like I'm not, I'm not where, unless I get to a spot where I'm five years consecutive, buck, 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 you know, maybe then I'll think about, okay, I do want to maybe hold out on a whatever, but I'm not there yet. I, I hope to be there one day. Uh, however, uh, any legal ethical kill shot opportunity to fill a doe tag or a buck tag, I'm going to try to do it. Uh, and I think too, like going off of the young hunter situation, these kids, man, I mean, for, for some hunters that may be just starting a social media page and you have pressure on yourself, the worst thing you could do right now is during a, a, during the rut is look at Instagram or to look at something and see what people are hammering down, you know, because you're seeing it and you're like, man, why can't I do that? Am I a crappy hunter? Am I doing this? It's like, no, you're not. It's just, you know, it's hunting. I don't know how many times it's so funny that I've talked to my dad about things growing up, you know, from when I was 12 to now at 34, my dad would be like, that's hunting, Jer. Sometimes you have those opportunities where it's just, it's nonstop. You got deer going up, you know, every time, everywhere you look, you look right, you look left, you know, freaking deer are everywhere. Then there's other times where you don't, yeah. it's hunting, you know? We always, we joke every season, like after the opening weekend, we'll like text each other and be like, oh, I got on Instagram. We're the only one that hasn't tagged out yet. Like <laughs> social media makes you feel, and you're right. The youth, it, it is, it is concerning. That's why I think it's important to have people, you know, like, like you guys and, and like us to kind of be the good guys. And, you know, if you're seeing something like that, you know, maybe try to step in or, you know, be, be a lending hand for those younger guys. Cause yeah, it's, it's not going anywhere. I mean, now it's just, that's just the world we're living in. Uh, you know, it's, it's here to stay. And like you said, they're going to use it. They, that's all they know. That's all they've known. They've grown up with it. So, you know, they're going to be on social media. They're going to be seeing that stuff. They're going to have those negative comments. So yeah, we got to figure out a way as the, I guess the older generation to kind of you know, step in and, and hopefully stay positive and keep those guys in a good, a good headspace, like you said, or, or they, they could get deterred. Um, you know, I didn't know anybody else was shooting anything when we started hunting. You know, it was like I thought I was the only one in the woods. You know, and now it's like dude around the corner is, is shooting a giant. It's crazy. <laughs> yeah, man. I, I mean, I think we could even end it by saying on that, like by saying, just for me, for do like for Dimitri and I doing this on uh, the podcast now for two years coming up. Man, I, I respect the grind for whatever people are doing, whatever platform, whether it be just YouTube, whether it be another outdoor podcast. Uh, Instagram, you know, if, if people that are in it and have been doing it for quite some time, uh, you know, even, you know, even the new people, like I respect the grind. So I, you know, I, I just wish more people like Dimitri said would be a little bit more respectful. Not that like, I'm not saying we, we get heat. I'm not saying that, but I just think in general, uh, I just wish people, you know, not saying everybody needs to live in butterflies and harmony and hold hands and stuff and sing Kumbaya. But at the same time, man, just respect the grind, respect that people are going out there and, you know, doing this and, you know, we're going to air this podcast on, on Wednesday. Well, so, shit, some, I got to edit this sometime, <laughs> you know what I mean? So, you know, some people got to do, do that same thing. Like we we're saying on top of the job, on top of doing that, I have a daughter. So, you know, 
for anybody out there, maybe before you get, uh, you know, finger happy about commenting and I don't know, I, again, this is a conversation I try to have with my students and sometimes I feel like I talk to the wall, but maybe I still am, but at least I'm, I'm at least you're talking, man, I guess. And, uh, yeah. you know, I, but you know, guys, I, I think, uh, I, I'm interested to have you guys back on. I, I feel like we've said this now for the last couple episodes, but I feel like we're, we could just scratch the surface fellows and, you know, talk about that postseason type stuff that we could get into maybe once shed season rolls around and, um, you know, we could get into some more, more content side of things as well. And, kind of getting into more specific than not just talking about it as a, as a broad statement. Um, like I said, we're going to do a series on, on, on that type of stuff. And I think it'd be great to have you three back on again for that. And, uh, we could tell when we get into that little mini series, but, uh, Demetri, is there anything hunting wise? And, you know, just before we get off, uh, so Nick, you, you shot a buck and then, uh, Easton, you, you shot a buck this year, uh, both with the bow. Uh, unfortunately mine well i don't want to sound fortunately but i guess i prefer to shoot them with a bow but mine was with a 4570 oh, okay two weeks ago during our our gun season and the next was with a bow i was still wearing hunter orange but it was with a bow it was our it was our youth gun seasons in ohio so you have to wear orange but yeah i had jake with me and, and got one with the bow nice man congrats on that and uh, you know, I, I think, uh, you got any hit listers coming out for, for next year already, or just trying to get, uh, get Jake one. Just trying to get Jake on. We got a couple good ones that, that we're after that we know made it through gun. Well, we think made it through gun season because we haven't seen them plastered on social media. So <laughs> get Jake one. we know one we were after got, got waxed on the neighbors, but that's fine. Sweet fellows. Well, I, I greatly appreciate you guys coming on and, and talking and sharing some stories and, uh, man, it'd, it'd be great again. Like I said, I, we'd love to have you guys back on and, you know, sorry about the technical difficulties. We're still, still trying to figure out the little bit of a bullhorn and, uh, you know, I appreciate your patience with that stuff and, uh, you know, thank you fellows. And, and, uh, we, we, uh, looking forward to having you guys on again. Hey, thank you guys. And, and best of luck the rest of the season and happy holidays. Uh, same to you guys. Thank you so much. Have a good night, fellas. And uh, guys, listen, before you get off, where could people uh, check you guys out at and uh, find your social media pages and all that stuff? The Venari Effect. So The Venari Effect on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, uh, pretty much everywhere. Awesome, man. Well, good stuff. And thanks to Shay Butler uh, for putting us in the contact, man. And uh, good dude. So you know, we'll give a little shameless plug for, for Shay, you know, guys go check him out. Shaybutlerknives.com. Check out his, uh, his hat, uh, stuff as well at single acre, uh, hat company. So, um, good dude put, you know, as you can see, got us together and, uh, make sure you go check out the Venari effect and until next time, everybody antler up. And that's a wrap for another episode of the antler up podcast. Thank you so much, everybody for checking us out. Sure hope you enjoyed this one. Make sure you go check out the guys over at the Venari Effect. Awesome dudes. Make really cool videos as well. And don't forget to check us out over at antlerupoutdoors.com. Check out our Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, and our Go Wild pages as well. Thanks again, everybody. Have a great week. Antler up.